Hey, Ian. Do you know what tomorrow is? Uh, hello, Jay. Uh, tomorrow is... Tomorrow is another day! No, tomorrow is the end of days. The worldwide rapture. Tomorrow. You heard it. Yeah, yep. What do you mean? There, everyone, it will evaporate and... Evaporate? Oh, you mean apparate, like from Harry Potter. They're not gonna go into any fires. The people who are gonna go into the fires are staying on Earth. You don't want to be on Earth. Okay. Yeah. And wh- and how long did we know about this? When I mean, I mean, some dude counted up some numbers in the Bible, and he said tomorrow's the day. And he's a he's a Christian mathematician. And I don't know how that's a thing, but that's a thing. I don't know how those two go. Together. No, I mean, I maybe think, I mean I don't think he even went to school. Maybe they for do. It. I'm not. Sure. I don't think that's a degree. <laughs> I don't think so either. No. Well, uh, 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 hello everybody. Hello, uh, welcome to the end of days. Uh, no, <laughs> well, it is another episode of Historical and Mysterious, Ooh. the podcast where we talk about something historical and... and mysterious. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> How was your week? Uh, it was good. It was good. It was pretty relaxing. Uh, you know, despite, you know, having all these days off, I'm still, like, you know, not getting as much sleep or just waking up super early. Oh, you're still yeah. in the breakfast zone i, I feel think so like. yeah coming from working at a yeah. breakfast place yeah you're still in the yeah. breakfast mood <laughs> yeah i think so it's gonna take a minute but it is whatever but hey now you're like a morning person you get something i mean I'm if not, you get another no, job no, that's the thing though i'm sorry no but that's the thing i'm not a morning person see that's the you could have fooled that's me the tragic part what you were t- I'm, I'm fooling myself right now <laughs> <laughs> there are mornings when i wake up and i come to the living room and you're ready to go you're yeah, just like I, yeah you were you were you were kind of a morning person like you're a little uh, bit. You're. I I, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. But you do damn good at being a morning person because you could have fooled me that you hated it. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I you know I get told all the time I should have been an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually happy all the time. <laughs> I, uh, oh. Yeah. Well, you are. I'm kidding. You always see. No. Your teeth are always showing. Oh yeah. No, it's because you're a dog. No. <laughs> well. Um, since right. it's uh, historical and mysterious, it's a history, then a mystery. Yes. And since you are history this week... I am the first to go. What's your history? You go. Take it off. So my history is going to be the history of marijuana. And I'm really just basically skimming over like where it kind of wasn't over, over the years, over the All many right. years. And so you're just going to do like a timeline? Timeline, thing? and then I'm cool. going to mostly go into kind of like how it became illegal in the United States. There's a lot of reasons that I didn't even oh, know wow. about. Like, there's a couple ones I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. So I'm not going to go over like, because it's a lot of different like I'm sure, yeah. things that went into making it illegal. But oh, these, yeah. are, these are two things <laughs> that I thought were kind of cool and kind of new. So I'll just jump right into it. So I'm a... Cool. I'm a fan of the marijuana. Are you- uh, as am I. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Big no, fans. Definitely. Big fans. Absolutely. Yes. Love the work. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. uh, so, uh, cannabis or weed, marijuana, devil's ganja. lettuce, ganja. Uh, uh, yeah. Devil's lettuce. I said that. Yeah, damn. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's so many. There's oh so many, God. but yeah, we, I can't think of anything. We claim to love it so much, and we only need like five three. name names. Yeah. yeah five well, I, we're going to buy weed socks, and then we'll know for sure we're stoners. Weed socks? Yeah. That's what everyone does when they first take a hit of the joint. They instantly buy weed socks. I I still don't have weed socks. Oh, oh wow. 
That's embarrassing. <laughs> no, I think I'm just an OG with it, though. That's not... I think all the cool like people some... have weed socks. All the cool people have weed all over their clothes. Cool, young, okay. whatever. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> cannabis is indigenous to Central and South Asia. There is in- evidence of inhalation of cannabis smoke from the 3rd millennium BCE, namely charred cannabis seeds found in ritual... Brazier, which is kind of like a fire pit. I, so I don't know if I'm saying a, it right. B r a z i e r. Don't ask me. Well, I'm you're a, telling the story. This I, is your story. This is your story. I'm, I don't know. Well, okay. I, brazier. I it. Brazier. Bra- so in someone's bra. Great. <laughs> Yeah, it's they were already turning out like weird science. Was it on somebody's head? <laughs> they were into some weird shit, dude. It was pretty hot back then. <laughs> so at ancient burial sites in a present day Romania is when they found. So they they found out that people have been using cannabis for a good while. And even uh, the first written account of the use of marijuana was 2727 BC, where the Chinese emperor Xinang wrote about the stony days with him and his bros. And how they the stony days? Yeah, that sounds like the title of a marijuana themed movie today, right? It sounds like something Chi Chi Chong would have made. And the it could stony be days. about twenty seven twenty seven BCE. It can be during that time. The stony and days, yeah, mm. stony days. Oh my god, we should make a movie. <laughs> uh, you wow. seem deep in thought. Yeah, no, that's amazing. The stony. I mean, all the way back then, it's just yeah, man. The stony days. The stone, Shit doesn't change. The stone days. Yeah, <laughs> just doesn't change. <laughs> uh, I feel like I could go back to that time with a, a, a blunt sealed right? with oil, and you would instantly and be make like friends. Emperor, and you know, I it would just be all like we wouldn't. At know first, what it would saying. be like what the fuck. Yeah, and who, then who hit is this it, white man? Puff, puff. You know, and then. Yeah, and then you're hey, instant friends. Like, oh my man. god. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Let me share my food, you know? Well, so, well, back... Uh, what are you eating? <laughs> I mean, do they I have mean, nachos then, in the... I, I mean, I'm sure... 2007 well, but I don't know what. BCE? <laughs> they have nachos back then? Uh, I hope so. I... No. Oh. I think... Oh my god. I think... How'd they, they, how'd they go? Pork? No nachos? Uh, they had vegetables and well, they fruit. Had, they had and weed, weed. Yeah, and and wow, only a bunch of boring stuff. Doritos, yeah. maybe? No, 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 no Doritos. No, damn. I I do think that they did have those Pepperidge Farm cookies though, like the double <laughs> chocolate ones. I think that they had those. Like those were like the pods that grew up. Uh, trees. Anyway, lucky no. okay, them. so we're getting off track. I'm we're tangent. Okay, so we're. Enough about okay. the agriculture. <laughs> so, uh, and they basically, uh, so that happened, and they basically even found uh, cannabis conception in Egyptian mummies dated from around oh. 950 BC. Okay. So, yeah. And then this is pretty much, I'm just skipping way the fuck ahead. Uh, basically, well, how, how much 1800s. Ahead? Well, how, how many years, well, like, how many centuries gap is that, do you think? At least 10. Oh, I'm not so wrong. A thousand years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but but basically why I skipped ahead was because basically what marijuana use was for was just basically for rituals and different kind of tribes and different Well, and I imagine that way back when for a thousand years yeah. they didn't change It didn't much. really change until like yeah. the 1800s okay. and then things started to kind of like 
oh, well, maybe we can use this for medical reasons and instead of, like, witch doctors and everything. So uh-huh. it, there was slowly uh-huh. making yeah. its way. So basically in the uh, 1900s is where... Uh, oh, wait, wow. In 1800... In 18... Yeah, you oh, sorry. I'm, like, going in and out of my notes. In the late 1800s is when marijuana started to move away from the spiritual recreational use and into the more health views. So in 1894, a doctor from Mexico said that the drug was used to treat asthma, uh, expedite asthma. Uh, uh, asthma. I, I don't know I, about that. I think that, that's conflicting. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a fan, but I also <laughs> don't have asthma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had friends who so, have asthma and smoked weed, and they did not have a good time yeah, when they first started out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they like casually like I coughed up blood one time and I'm like I don't think I don't think that's normal I, yeah I don't think that's pleasant at all but they're like yeah it was totally fine it was really weird. like they said that yeah it was like very nonchalant oh yeah I mean it was like are you sure well, you're good like <laughs> uh, okay I know but uh yeah so all right uh it was also used to keep away witches and also away as- witches in the late 1800s mm-hmm in Mexico. Oh, oh. Yeah. And then... And also, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean that to be offensive. Oh. Like, why that made so much sense all of a sudden. Like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, In the late 1800s down there. I didn't, I didn't The witches like were that. a lot. Yeah. yeah. No, there was a like, lot of witches down there. All those superstitious people down south. <laughs> I, I didn't... You know... Anyway, uh, anyway, so uh, it it's was fine. Awesome. It's, fu- it's I'm, fine. It's fine. I'm super. I, hey, I'm superstitious. You're super. Hey, my best friend's superstitious. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you. You're. you're I've superstitious. had sex with superstitious people. Like <laughs> I'm totally down with the superstition. On grinder, are you superstitious? <laughs> you oh, grinder on here. <laughs> Do <gasps> no fats fans are superstitions. <gasps> I'm just kidding. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! How dare you? Oh, no, I'm clearly joking. I'm just kidding. Wait, no, I'm not kidding about joking. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> it was also used as a love filtrate. I guess as like kind of a love potion, get people going. I mean, mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And in the nate and then in the nineteen hundreds is where we start seeing it become illegal in most countries and everything. And so here's the reason why a reason I didn't originally know about was why it became like one of the reasons why it became illegal here was so in uh, the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, uh, we saw an influx of immigration due to like the next like, then a lot of stuff going on in Mexico, like a lot of war and everything. So we've yeah. seen a lot of influx in it. In immigration, and they would bring over what they called marijuana, but it was with an H, and I can't say it properly. Marijuana? Yes. And so, little did these, you know... That's probably not correct, either. I'm, it's closer than what I got. So, uh, <laughs> basically, while these Americans had kind of had, like, forms of marijuana, like, in their medicine cabinet, like, CBD and stuff like that, like, pain relievers, like, muscle relaxers... They had that stuff back then? Yeah, they, well, they didn't have, like, just marijuana, and, like, they had, like elements of it like cbd and stuff like that mm-hmm. and medicine medication and everything but americans like common core didn't really know it was really just cannabis it was just this new other thing so when uh well, wouldn't they just figure it out by the smell no it was you don't it wasn't like it wasn't they didn't smoke it or anything it was oh, just oh, like it was in like little pills. extract or yeah something. Okay, it was gotcha, like gotcha, with gotcha. other things too to kind of help gotcha i guess relieve pain and stuff like that so when uh immigrants started bringing over marijuana and when i say marijuana just imagine i'm saying it with an h i can't pronounce that uh the media was basically saying that they're bringing over this new drug and it's like super dangerous and they're causing all this all this stuff 
and th- it was a kind of a way to kind of uh, make the Im- make immigration. I mean, make the immigrants look terrible, like they're bringing over like yeah. all these drugs and everything. Yeah. So Texas made it illegal to have marijuana as an excuse to cut down illegal immigrants. Oh, Texas! Uh, your your hometown. My hometown. Texas. I think it's a state. But it, there's this hometown within Texas. Uh, many. Yeah. Many. But your many, hometown many. is in Texas. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, All my exes live in Texas. Oh no, that's not. That's actually not true. I think most <laughs> of your exes live in Texas. Uh, my exes live all over the nation. All, every- <laughs> that's not true. That's all not everywhere. True just, just in. A, well, there's at least about like twelve in every state. No, no, just in <laughs> just in three places in the country. Anyway. Mm, got it, got it. <laughs> anyway. Got, uh, tell you, tell the story. Marijuana stories. Got it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so basically, Texas made it illegal to cut back on immigration oh, and to Texas. kind of have a reason okay. to deport immigrants or a, a reason to ask for papers and realize that they're immigrants. Yeah. And so the Nixon immig- uh, administration put it on the Schedule 1 substance uh, abuse despite having been advised it was not has not been dangerous but the reason he did that is because he was trying to start up a new corporation the dea i've told you all this stuff but basically the dea was started up they didn't have a whole bunch of things to kind of pursue and people to arrest and without they need some stuff to do so they kind of uh they also saw that the jazz scene was really big on marijuana and how what how did how did they jump to that all of a sudden what do you mean what's a the well, jazz. You just, like, oh, sorry. From, like, I, Texas I, to jazz. I, I, like, this is just... down the road. This is Texas, okay, and then yeah, this is okay, years down the road. You gotta tell me when you're jumping, fool. I just, I was like, sorry. Oh, oh so, so the people <laughs> coming from the south, they, they told the immigration yeah. officer, oh no, no, don't get mad at us. Uh, we got it from uh, Harlem in New York. Uh, that's exactly. <laughs> that is exactly accurate. Uh, but basically. Uh, this was another reason why they kind of made it illegal is because it was started to become a big thing in the jazz scene and this was after well, the jazz yeah, scene started like up after you know entire jazz songs about it yeah and <laughs> and it was uh, jazz scene kind of started up after segregation it was in that time period and everything and so Wait, after segregation it was in the, in the middle of it right well I mean about, there was jazz song about marijuana in like the 20s and stuff okay well this is like during all that shit all like the ink ink like all the racism. Yeah. This the is all the racism. For that kind of jazz yes. was the 20s, Sorry. 30s, 40s, yeah. not the So 60s. basically, it's just, uh, it was in the heyday of all the racism and everything and all this just terribleness. Yeah. And so they pretty much needed a reason to kind of lock up black people, but still have, you know, have another drug to pursue and arrest yeah. people for. Yeah. So it was like, oh, wow, this is perfect. We can be racist. We can have uh-huh. a company. We win-win. Sure. It's all around. And yeah. yeah. And now even today, it's still schedule one drug. Probably won't get removed. I don't think anytime. Not in the foreseeable future, at least. I mean, the DEA just like this last year, they re like researched it again, and they what they say was like the director said like the dumbest thing ever. He's like, oh, it's not the most dangerous drug out there. What like but, you, what, what what did you figure out that was new? Right, right. No, I'm sorry. It's been around. But he, basically, he said he's like it's not the most dangerous drug. But I don't know. I'm not an expert. And this is like the DEA director. Of the DEA. He said this. I'm not an expert. And All I was right. just like, wow. He later, of course, came back and reset or something. Like, oh, wait, I didn't mean that. But so now, yeah, yeah we don't, I don't think it'll change anytime soon. And 
but yeah, that's like a brief kind of overview about why weed was illegal, and of course, it was never used to be like illegal. It was always used to be kind of like a free thing. Yeah, yeah. easy going, but times have changed, mm-hmm. and here we are. Yeah. But yeah, that is uh, my history for the week. Nice. Well, awesome. That's a nice little timeline on uh, the marijuana. Favorite uh, favorite green smoky thing. Doc. Uh, what is drug of choice? Yes. Oh my god! Yes. Uh, <laughs> it took me a second, but oh I, boy, it's like dead on a right. No, no. <laughs> and you know, on the heels of that, we could get into the whole argument and the contrast of pharmaceuticals. Yeah. You know, not. Just, oh yeah. Not just the rise, the recent rise in that, and the abuses of that. You know, and how it's been building for not you know just the past couple years, but decades really. But you know, you know, the development of the current drugs from abusive. Uh, or uh, harmful ones from even decades prior to that, you yeah, know. Exactly. Um, so, and how those are, you know, Effective. way harmful, and some doctors just hand them out like oh. candy, and and yet, you know, those are the ones handed to white people because white people can afford to go to the doctor and go all the time, yeah. and so that's fine. Yeah. But the stuff that's actually not bad, bad for, for you, you, it's now like a Schedule One drug you know, next to heroin. Exactly. So. I, I I said we could bring up this argument, and then I did. So, uh, but anyway, so uh, well, that's awesome. Mystery cool. time. Ma- uh, yeah. Well, yes. Yes. Be patient. Be patient. Yes, because I got a good one. Oh, nice. All right. So I am mystery this week. Hello, mystery. And uh, you know, mystery. I decided to you know do something kind of interesting. You know, it's not like. Uh, Super Because if you shock. got a boring mystery... No, God oh, no. Damn. no, 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 no. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm... I, I, why, you think I would pick something boring? Well, you're saying, well, I pick something that would kind of Do be shocking, I'm and I'm like, well, I would hope so. <laughs> All right. So, my mystery this week is the story of, and I titled my research, uh, Dorothy Edie, High Priestess. Dorothy Eady, mm-hmm. all right. Yes, and Dorothy Eady, uh, basically, her full name was Dorothy Louise Eady, and she was born in London in 1904. Uh, fun fact, Joan Crawford was born the same year, 1904. Ah, are they like sisters? Uh, Do we no, know? Okay. No, no, they weren't at all. Uh, anyway, <laughs> and uh, but she was raised in, in a coastal town. She was born in London, but she wasn't raised there. She was Got raised it. in a much smaller coastal town, which, I mean, if I were a child, I'd think i would prefer that too maybe yeah. i don't know uh, and then uh, at the age of three uh she fell down uh, a flight of stairs in her house oh. and uh yeah she, she was pronounced dead at the scene when uh doctors got there wow yeah when assistants got there you know they she was just pronounced dead at age but three lo and behold like just a few minutes later she woke up oh yeah wow okay mm-hmm. and it just really seemed like a wonderful miracle yeah, okay, and yeah. they, like, checked her, all right. Yeah, um, but uh, shortly after, you know, uh, and it's not exactly sh- pinned down exactly w- how much time, but anywhere from, a, like, a few months to a couple years or anything like that, she started exhibiting strange behaviors, and uh, she was being asked to be, quote-unquote, brought home. Uh, and she, and she was also, at school, I assume? No, no. She brought was, home from where? Oh, she was no. she was just saying that at home? Well, hold on. She was at, at home. She didn't mean from school or from the house or from the street or from outside or from the playground. She didn't mean from anywhere. She just... So that's why it's so confusing. Being brought home, why do you mean? 
And then she also developed uh, apparently what is called foreign accent syndrome. She's developed an accent out of nowhere. That's a syndrome? And people thought it was put on at first, but it was all the fucking time. And what? yeah, apparently, apparently, wait, do you know what, what the age was when this happened? When this onset? Yeah, of the she was like, was? she was like four, maybe five. I think four. Oh, shit. Yeah, and uh, you know, but this, but the accent thing in particular caused some conflict in her early life because she would get sent home early uh, from uh, school. You know, um, because she was using her an Sunday accent? school teacher. Well, well, her Sunday school teacher asked her parents, you know, hey, just keep her at the house. We don't, you know, we don't want any accidents here. Disruption. Well, also because you know, at church, you know, at Sunday in during her Sunday school classes, sorry, um, she was making uh, comparisons to Christianity and what the what her classmates con- called the quote unquote heathen ancient Egyptian religion, and she was drawing comparisons. So they're like, oh, that's yeah, oh wow, yeah, exactly. She's- so uh, <laughs> she was expelled from the Dulwich or Dulwich Girls School uh, after she refused to sing a hymn uh, that called on God to quote curse the swart Egyptians unquote. Uh, her regular visits to Catholic Mass, which she liked, actually, uh, yeah, contrary to what you might believe, uh, because it actually reminded her of the, uh, quote, old religion, actually. it's the I think it was all the ceremony and all the ritual mm. associated with the Catholic, Catholic religion, sorry. Okay. Because there's a lot of pageantry in that yeah. religion. I don't think that's arguable, you know, yeah. inarguable. Uh, or arguable, sorry. <laughs> and there was a lot, you know, in ancient Egyptian rituals as well, you know. Got it, Like yeah. how you said in the beginning yeah. of yours. Oh, shit. Oh, my God, connections. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, wait. But, what's this little girl's name again? Sorry. Oh, Dorothy. 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 Edie. Dorothy. Edie. Last name. Got Dorothy. It. Dorothy. Well, this is her name that she was given when she was born. In the, anyway, got it. So, uh, but she like or religion uh, were terminated after an interrogation. Well, uh, her visits to the Catholic Mass were terminated after an interrogation and visit uh, to her parents by a priest. Uh, Interrogation. Uh-huh. Well, because she's exhibiting all these strange behaviors yeah. and stuff, you know. And after being taken by her parents to visit the British Museum and uh, observing a photograph in the New Kingdom Temple exhibit's room, uh, the young Edie called out, There is my home. And she was, like, fascinated with everything in the exhibit, and she recognized everything. Uh, and uh, she, like, would just... She would circle all the statues, all the statues, and she would look up at them. She would talk to them in another language. She would kiss their feet specifically. Uh, She would kiss their feet. Oh, my gosh. Which apparently is part of a ritual. Yeah. She saw a picture of everything, and she's like uh, like a photograph of the place, but it was different. Did she know what it was? Well, she recognized the pyramids, of course, and she said, that's my home. But then right away, she asked, where are the gardens? You know, where are all the trees and where's the water? Because you got to remember thousands of years ago, the agriculture, you know, the, there was a difference in vegetation back then in Egypt, you know, it was actually flourishing, you know, it wasn't like the desert it is today. So, um, you know, but the temple was that of Seti the first of a particular photograph she saw. And, uh, the father of, that was the father of Ramses the great. Um, she ran up at the halls of the rooms, you know, and amongst, you know, everything else, all the artifacts and everything, she stopped at little stuff, too, to look at it and be like, oh, yeah, those things, like, rem- you wow. know, even, like, reminiscing. Yeah. Um, and uh, she eventually met, uh, someone met E.A. Wallace Budge, who was taken by her youthful enthusiasm and encouraged her uh, in the study of hieroglyphs. Wow. 
Oh. Hieroglyphics or hieroglyphs? Hieroglyphs. Yeah, sounds right. I don't know which is... Yeah. Uh, after a close escape uh, during a bomb raid during World War One, uh, she moved her grandmother's house... She moved to her grandmother's house in Sussex, where she continued to study uh, ancient Egypt and continued her fascination with it. And, Got it. You know, and... Uh, she went to the Eastbourne Public Library often. Uh, when she was 15, she described a nocturnal visit from the mummy of Pharaoh Seti I. Her behavior, coupled with the sleepwalking and nightmares, uh, led her to be incarcerated in the sanatoriums several times. She was put in the fucking loony bin for this shit. Uh, on leaving school at 16, uh, she visited uh, she visited museums and archaeological sites uh, around Britain, uh, facil- uh, facilitated by her father's investigations uh, into the nationwide booming cinema industry. Wow. Yeah, so you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, Edie beca- uh, Dorothy became a part-time student at Plymouth Art School and began to collect uh, affordable Egyptian antiquities. So, like, little collector pieces, and, you know, I don't know yeah. if they were replicas, but I assume affordable they, they were. Yeah. Uh, during her period at Portsmouth, she became part of the theater group that on occasion performed a play based on the story of Isis and Osiris. Uh, she took the role of Isis and sang the lamentation for Osiris's death. Um... At the age of 27, so we're jumping a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> uh, 27, that's how old I am. Uh, okay. Uh, I began working in London. No, she began working in London. Why don't you have different accents? Uh, uh, hello. She had age Hello. Take me back to Egypt. <laughs> that's right. That's my home. Perfect. Where yeah. the trees? No, okay. <laughs> um, so she began working in London at 27 with an Egyptian public relations magazine. Uh, for which she wrote articles and drew cartoons that reflected her political uh, support uh, for independent Egypt. Okay. Uh, during this period, she met her future husband, uh, Iman Abdel uh, Megid. I think it's Megid. I think I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say Megid. Megid, yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to call him Aman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he was uh, a student. He was Egyptian. He was a student uh, with whom, uh, you know, she continued to correspond uh, when he returned, when he went back home. Then, uh, she moved to Egypt in 1931. Good for uh, her. And a mom was a teacher at this point and asked her to marry him. And so it seemed like a perfectly good prospect. And on arriving in Egypt, she kissed the ground and announced that she had come to stay. The couple stayed in Cairo and her husband's family gave her the nickname uh, Bulbul, which means Nightingale. Uh Aww. Uh, her same, her son was named Seti, uh, from which is derived her popular name, Om Seti. So from here on out, uh, actually Dorothy is going to be known as Om Seti. Okay. Because it's Seti's mom, uh, or mother of Seti. Got it. So this is it from now on, Om Seti. Uh, after a chance meeting with George Reisner's secretary, who commented on her apparent ability to charm snakes, told her that spells on such powers were in early ancient Egyptian literature. Amseti uh, visited the 5th Dynasty Pyramid of Unas. Uh, Klaus Bear recalled her piety when she accompanied him on the visit to Saqqara, or Saqqara, I, I, I don't know, huh. in the early 1950s, so that's another further jump. Okay. Uh, she brought an offering and took off her shoes before entering Unas's pyramid. Uh, she continued to report apparitions and out-of-body experiences during this time as well. 
uh, which caused friction with the upper middle class family she had married into because they, they kind like of that. were yeah well they were in Cairo they kind of were busy with their own more you know modern lives this girl like, like you know, seeing shit and yeah. well modern I guess how much more, <coughs> more modern I guess Egypt was I think you and I if we went to Egypt in the fifties it wouldn't I don't know but but it was modern yeah for compared, that, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, compared to exactly. ancient Egypt um and then um. During the early period of her uh, portion of her first moving to to Egypt, she reported uh, she told many people about, and she said she had many nighttime visions uh, or visitations uh, by an apparition known as Hora, uh, and he dictated to her over a year long period the story of her entire previous life. Oh wow! Yeah, that's a story. And this, is, and this connection is exactly why, you know, she's been, like, all yeah. obsessed. And think about it. Like, she fell down the stairs. She hit her head. Woke up when she should, when she was pronounced dead already. Yeah. And then she woke up. And then it, she was, like, already acting weird. It was, like... And then she went to the museum. And the then veil it was, like, oh, now it makes sense. Yeah. And then... And now know, she's getting Now it's getting, like, like oh, let, now and here's why. Here's how you were when you were in your I mean, past life. I mean, you know, you, we could have started with this, honestly. You know, it would have, you know... I mean... Better. Anyway. But then it wouldn't be a mystery. Anyway. Exactly. Or, well, it still is. It is still... Anyway. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the story took up around 70 pages of cursive hieroglyphic text uh, that she wrote, you know, because she was, like, uh, you know, putting it down to, you know, report it. Yeah. Uh, or record it. Have it down on record, is the point. <laughs> it described <laughs> it described the life of a young woman in ancient Egypt called uh, uh, Bentrishis. Wait, okay, I'm gonna try this one. Whatever. Okay, Bentrishit. Yeah, ben- Bentrishit. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm just gonna say Bentrish. Bentrish. Okay. <laughs> uh, so. Egyptian called Bentrish, who had re- uh, reincarnated in the person of Dorothy Eady, so her next life. Uh, Bentrish, uh, also translated to Harp of Joy, or Bentreshed, okay. or whatever, but Bentrish, Harp of Joy, is described in this text as being of humble origin, so not rich, not from a powerful family or anything, or related to the pharaoh, yeah. but her mother was a vegetable seller, and her father, uh, like, you know, was a soldier during the reign of Seti the First, which was around 1290 BC to about 1279 BC. <coughs> okay. Don't cough during my. Story. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <coughs> <coughs> That's what I think of you. You're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when she was three, her mother died, uh, and then she was placed in the temple of Kam el Sultan uh, because her father couldn't afford her. There, she was brought up to uh, to be a priestess. Uh, when she was 12 years old, the high priestess asked her if she wished to go out into the world or stay and become a consecrated virgin. Uh, in the absence of full understanding, though, and without a practical alternative, she took the vows. Of virginity? Of consecrated virgin. Oh, that's And sucks. basically, she has to stay virgin. She's only praying to the gods. And no sexual servant. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Uh, but during the next two years, uh, and she's like around 12, I said? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So during the next two years, because it was around 14 when all this uh, stuff happened, uh, she learned her role in the annual drama of Osiris's Passion and Resurrection, a role that only uh, virgin priestesses could consecrated to Isis could perform. 
Uh, one day, Seti the first visited and spoke to her, uh, and said he was pharaoh, I guess, uh, or king. And uh, they became lovers, uh, eating the uncooked goose, Ooh. Uh, which means an ancient Egypt, which is an ancient Egyptian term uh, that has been compared to uh, eating the forbidden fruit. Uh, when Bentrish became pregnant, however, she told the high priest who the father was. The high priest informed her uh, that the gravity of the offense against Isis, a god, was so terrible uh, that death would be the most likely penalty. Wait, so he wasn't the father? Who? She she said who the father was? Yeah. He, to the, he she told the priest who the father was. That it was Seti the first. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. So, um... But basically, you know, the the penalty would be, you know, death. Yeah, would be death after a trial. But that's the pharaoh, and it was like that's kind of not. I was a thing like, I I for the from my research, I get the impression because I read outside of Wikipedia, but you know, I did, and what I found is that like she was so didn't want a trial and she would have been disgraced and he would have been executed and because they were going to oh, execute uh, yeah you know, or she could have been or she wouldn't have been i don't think but i don't know but so she um and it was just a huge scandal i guess uh it was like Seti. it was like the yeah. egyptian so she letter. just committed suicide oh rather than face trial oh damn yeah i i, I don't know how with the though. baby as well uh i assume i assume Damn. You know, just get rid of that, too. I don't think she waited that long, you know? Yeah. I, I don't know, and it didn't say how, but, you know, I can only assume, you know, take care of that shit. Yeah. You know? Anyway. Uh, so, but in 19... Oh, so, jumping back to 1935, Dor- uh, Dorothy... Okay, so, uh, Om, Om Seti, separated from her husband when she took a teaching job in Iraq. Uh, their son Seti stayed with her. Two years after their uh, after the marriage broke down, she went to live in the Nazlat Al Saman near the Giza pyramids, uh, where she met the Egyptian archaeologist uh, Salim Hassan of the Department of Antiquities, who employed her as his secretary and draftswoman. Uh, she was the department's first female employee and a boon to Hassan, uh, according to Barbara Lesko. Uh, quote, she was a great help to Egyptian scholars, uh, especially Hassan and Fakhri, you know, Fakhri, uh, correcting their English and writing English language articles for others. So this poorly educated English woman developed in Egypt into a first-rate draftswoman and prolific and talented writer who even under her own name produced articles, essays, monographs, and books of great range, wit and substance, unquote. Oh, nice. Yeah, so she became very accomplished in that yeah. way. Great writer, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, so pretty badass. Yeah. Uh, through her keen interest in antiquities, though, she uh, met and befriended many of the famous Egyptologists of her era. Om Seti made such a significant contribution to Hassan's work that upon his death, she was employed by Ahmed Fakhri uh, during his excavations at Dashur. Uh, Hassan's uh, magnum opus, the ten-volume Excavations at Giza, give uh, special mention with sincere gratitude. Uh, basically, she's just the shit, you know, and she does good work, yeah, and everybody wants don't. to work with her, you know, even though she's not like an archaeologist or exactly. a quote-unquote professional or whatever. But, you know, and she is at this point, I imagine. I wouldn't believe you know, so, yeah. yeah. She lived a fucking life, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and then, but during this time, she prayed, made frequent offerings to the gods of ancient Egypt, would often spend nights at the Great Pyramid, uh, you know, and she uh, she very quickly became the subject of village gossip. You know, that was inescapable, oh, as yeah. you can imagine. Um, and she would make uh, m- nighttime prayer offerings to Horus at the Great Sphinx. Uh, she also was respected by the villagers for her honesty in not hiding her true faith in the Egyptian gods. She was sensitive to the religious observances of others and would fast uh, with the Muslim villagers uh, during Ramadan and celebrate the with Christians at Christmas. She sounds like an awesome, like, all-around good yeah, person. Yeah, she was pretty yeah. well-rounded, and she, yeah, she wasn't, like, prejudiced. Exactly. She was just like, oh, and I'll do that, too. Yeah. yeah. Cool, yeah. Fuck yeah, present Sign me yeah. up. Um, but yeah, and her associations with workers and their families, you know, they gave her first-hand experience of contemporary Egyptian life. Yeah. So, you know, she, you know, it was, she, she wasn't fucking crazy. The people who talk shit, no, you know, yeah. so she's crazy, weird, you know, but she wasn't. I mean, she's, I mean, she's successful she, It sounds like she was, you know, you know, professional, well-rounded member of yeah. the community, nice. Oh, yeah. And a bit eccentric, but that's about it. That's pretty much uh, But anyway... Uh, she saw a common thread joining all periods of Egyptian history. Uh, the uh, the Pharaonic, the Greco-Roman, the Christian, and the Islamic. The thread was the Nile, which animated people's lives on so many levels. Wow. You know, she, so that that was basically like the water source, the giver, the life source yeah. that united everyone. Uh, and then she uh, moved to Abydos. A-B-Y-D-O-S. Abydos. Um, but she got there by Ahmed Frahi uh, Dashur Pyramid Research Project was terminated in early 1956. So we're jumping back ahead. Leaving uh, Ami uh, Amseti unemployed. So Fakri suggested that, you know, she climb the Great Pyramid and when you reach the top, uh, just turn west and address yourself to the uh, Lord Osiris and ask him... Uh, you know, it says here, Quo Vadis. Right. Sounds like it's Latin, but... <laughs> right? But whatever, Quo Vadis, which I don't know what that means. I don't means. know what that means either, yeah. but I guess it's between them. Uh, he offered her a choice of taking a well-paid job in the Cairo Records office or a poorly paid position in Abydos as a draftswoman. Uh, she actually chose the latter. Because she probably yeah. enjoys it, yeah. Uh, she reported that Seti I approved of the move. <laughs> he claimed that the wheel of fate was turning and that this would be the time of testing. Uh, if she was chased, she would now undo Bentris's ancient sin. Oh, wow. Yeah. So basically, in this second life, if she, she, had, if she was chased at this point, which I think she was, then she would have the opportunity to undo the sin of her previous life, I guess. Wow. Mm-hmm. Lucky I wish I w- my second life mm-hmm. was. Okay, so, on March uh, 3rd, 1956, the 52-year-old Om Sati left for Abydos. Ugh, 52-year-old virgin. <laughs> Damn. Uh, anyway, uh, she met up home in Aberet Abydos, which sits in the cradle of the mountain Pega the Gap. The ancient Egyptians believed uh, the mountain led uh, to Amenti and the afterlife. It was it was here that uh, she began to be called Amseti. Got it. Like, for real. Official, yeah. Uh, because it was customary in Egyptian villages to refer to a mother by the name of the eldest child. Got it. And right. the child was Seti. Seti, Seti. Uh, Abydos had a special significance uh, for her because it's where she believed uh, Betrisht, 
uh, her the version of her from the past, uh, had lived and served in the Temple of Seti. She had made a short pilgrimage uh, to the site before, during which she had demonstrated her advanced knowledge. Got it. Uh, and at one of these trips to the temple, uh, the chief inspector from the Antiquities Department, who uh, knew about her claims, had decided to test her by asking her to stand at particular wall paintings in complete darkness, uh, and she was instructed to identify them based on their prior uh, knowledge, uh, on her prior knowledge as a temple priestess. She completed the task successfully, like like Damn, completely, even though the painting locations had not yet been published at this time. Wow. Yeah. Uh, she spent the first two years listing and translating pieces from a recently excavated temple palace. Uh, her work was incorporated into Edgar Gazzulli's monograph, The Palace and the Magazines Attached to the Temple of Seti I at Abydos. Uh, he expressed particular thanks to her in this work and was impressed by the skills uh, she showed in translation of enigmatic texts along with other members of the Antiquities Department in 1957. Uh she wrote out a liturgical calendar of feast days based on ancient Egyptian texts, you know. Yeah. So basically she was, like, doing a lot about telling people, like, oh, no, this is how it was and what was going on and blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's get Tall down. order. Wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, now let's jump all the way into the 60s. Got it. Uh, she heard uh, the Beatles' White Album, and then she became a hippie. Nice. No. Uh, <laughs> okay. So at the uh, age of 60 in 1964, Om Seti, Om Seti uh, was faced with mandatory retirement by the Antiquities Department and advised to seek part-time work in Cairo. Got it. So she still like, wanted to work. Yeah. yeah, because – and they were just kind of like, all right, well, you know, you're – Yeah, you're, you're done go. there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she went to Cairo, but only stayed one day before returning to Abydos. The Antiquities Department decided to make an exception to their retirement age rules and allowed her to continue her work at Abydos for a further five years, until she retired in 1969. Uh, same year as the Manson murders. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> uh, her pension of $30 per month was supplemented by needlework sold to friends and tourists, who also brought gifts of clothes, food, and reading materials. So she, you know, like her, she only got thirty dollars a month, but she got some extra money on the side, oh, and yeah. then people were giving her stuff. So it's like she wasn't rich by no means, but she she, she was, was getting, it. and especially and she for the happy. lifestyle, the average lifestyle people have in Egypt, especially yeah. back then, she was doing fine. She was probably very happy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but she began to work actually part time as a consultant for the antiquities department, uh, guiding tourists around the temple of Seti and explaining the symbolism uh, of the painted wall scenes, and you know telling them about all these different things and you know how certain things were done and what it was like and stuff. In 1972, uh, she suffered a mild heart attack and in the aftermath decided to sell her old house uh, and moved into uh, Zareba. Zareba. I'm going to say Zariba. A ramshackle single room uh, made of reeds. Oh, wow. So kind of cheap or oh, ramshackle, great, yeah. I think. Uh, Ahmed Solomon, the, the son of the one-time keeper of the Temple of Seti, uh, built a simple mud brick house adjacent to his family home where Om Seti moved and lived as the part-time uh, part of the Solomon family. Uh, sorry. 
she reported in her diary that on the first moving into her new home, Seti the first appeared and carried out a ritual that consecrated the habitation, bowing reverently towards the small statues of Osiris and Isis she kept in a small shrine niche. Wow. So it's like dubbing it like this yeah. is the better place, so it's yours, I guess, is what was happening. I see. Or maybe she just was on drugs. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, maybe, possibly. Uh, hey, hey, never you never know. know. You never know. I mean, I, 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 I've imagined similar. I've dabbled. Not, um, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, during this visit, Seti described uh, the one and only time he saw the gods uh, Seti, his name, uh, or Set, his namesake. Uh, as a prelude to meeting the Set, he fasted for ten days before entering the chapel of the Great Strength, where the god appeared with a beauty that cannot be described. Uh, on sensing that he was the spirit of all that was cruel and evil, uh, Seti fled to the sound, mocking laughter from the god, never to serve Set again. Uh, he counseled that, uh, quote, one should not serve an evil being, even if it appears to have a good or useful attribute or function, unquote. Oh, wow. Sounds pretty wise. Yeah. Uh, Seti made several visits during the following weeks, during which he gave his opinion on the Greek story of Atlantis. Um, which, I I thought that was, oh, yeah. we're just going to throw I that think in. Atlantis okay. is now here. Yeah. All right. Tell us and, about Area 51. Yeah. And that was, like, I think the last significant visit she had from Seti. I think there were maybe a couple more, but that was the that last big, big one. one. Like, yeah. like the time when she was still in England and she got the visit and yeah. told her about, you know. About her past life. Or no, I think she was already here. Anyway, sorry. I bleh. <laughs> Let me just uh, change everything real quick. The very <laughs> yeah, because I'm just Let me change this timeline real quick. What I'm yeah, anyway. Uh, but okay, so so for more professional connections and associations, you know, um, she uh, she actually got to know a lot of the leading Egyptologists at the time, uh, and for decades, you know. Uh, because during her stay in Abydos during her work for her work there. Uh, Lanny Bell and William Murnane from Chicago House recalled going, quote, up to Abydos to see Om Seti, uh, to have tea in her place, unquote, and then view the temples with her. Uh, John Romer recalled that a bottle of vodka to her home at, wait, recalled taking a bottle of vodka, sorry, to her home at, and Om Seti having fun telling the slightly more, uh, rivaled story of the gods and goddesses. Uh, she spoke of Ramses II, uh, the son of Seti I, who she always saw as a teenager, and when Bentrisht, or, yeah, Bentrisht, uh, first knew him, she regarded him in common with other Egyptologists as the most slandered of all the pharaohs, uh, unquote. <laughs> uh, that's like what Bentrisht said, or what she yeah. remembers. Uh, because of biblically derived accounts describing him as the pharaoh of the oppression and the slaughterer of baby boys, traits. Oh, that, yeah. that is a title. That, you know what that, that reminds me of? You know what that makes me think of? Of huh. uh, the Prince of Egypt, that movie. Oh one, yeah, that, and where they like throw him into the co- crocodiles, oh, and they were going to do that with Moses, and religious you religious people know the story. The religious people, the reli- you pe- those you, those, those people. people. Anyway, <laughs> what do you mean, you people? Anyway, uh, <laughs> okay, so, uh, where was I? Uh, oh, yeah, okay, so baby boys, uh, traits which are contradicted by contemporary records, actually. Kenneth Kitchen, and spelled like kitchen, 
uh, an expert on this period, considered her a, quote, true uh, Ramicide. Ramicide. Like oh, nice. Ramsey's yeah. Ramicide. Official Ramicide. Like, she, like, like, she Welcome would, to like, the she game. Him. The Ramseys. The, well, <laughs> the Ramseys. Yeah, she would have killed him. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> he said that there was a certain, quote, a, a certain truth in her familial approach, unquote. And that she, quote, came to all sorts of perfectly sensible conclusions about the actual objective material of the Seti temple, unquote. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And she pretty much, like, lived out her days that way. And uh, she... She passed, I assume, or she's not... No, she's still alive. She's still alive today? Yep. Mm -hmm. No Mm -hmm. shit. Let's go to Egypt. I want to yeah, take her on tour with her. My God. She just sounds like someone to get fun with, like, have fun with and have a drink and absolutely. have her tell me stories. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, that is phenomenal. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. No, she actually died in 1981 and on, a- on April 21st. Oh. hmm Oh, so she's dead. Yeah. So. Thank you for taking that out of my hands. She was I was really happy for a second. Sorry. It's okay. You well, know, it's, it's just, fine. I, I had to tell you, you that part because it's just kind of giving you an, Give an me end that hope. to the story. Well, it's an end to the story. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I just thought that was really that interesting. That is interesting. And to me, the unfinished part of the mystery, you know, if it's not obvious, I, I guess, um, is just that, you know, like, is that true? Is yeah. it not true? And we will never know. No, we'll she, never know. First of all, she's dead. And second of all, you know... Uh, I don't know. I just it hasn't happened since yet. Something I don't know. The whole story makes sense. Yeah, I mean she's been. I mean it doesn't make sense. I don't know. How, like if it did, if that is what happened, I don't know what. Um, you but know, she's but yeah. It's like I don't know. How does this little girl know so much? You know, at such a young age. You and know, she it's just falls, like, hits her head, dies, wakes up, and then all of a sudden, yeah, like, all this stuff stuff comes rushing like, back to something her. Just like. Someone from up above or something. She's like, quick, get in there. Boom. <laughs> get in the little girl's body now. Oh. Uh, and the little girl's just out there in the world somewhere. Yeah. The real little girl. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's my mystery. Nice. Yeah, I, enjo- right. I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that researching one. that one. Never heard of that lady before. Yeah. I was just, I was, yeah. I, yeah. Now I kind of wish I had ancient Egyptian I think maybe I sound a little monotonous because I was trying not to get my eyes. I think I knew a need to do a bigger font i am a i'm i'm a 65 year old man in a 27 year old's body you are i am i am yeah I mean, nothing works you have a pocket watch well some well, <laughs> some things work okay <laughs> let's not get carried away nothing works on this body <laughs> just kidding oh, oh sorry <laughs> speak for yourself uh so all right so uh any uh how are we gonna close this out you got what are your uh what are your plans? What are my plans? Well, yeah, I, the, these, this the is like my, my next week and this is just, you got work just tomorrow. work. Yeah, today's tomorrow's my Monday, even though it's mm-hmm. Saturday. Oh, you got a raise. I yeah, did. I got a raise. Good news. Yes, good People, news. Yeah, Jay here got here a raise. I, I got a raise. Yay. Woo. Now just keep on grinding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, not at work. Not Otherwise, at work. you're going to lose that raise. <laughs> Maybe the job. <laughs> any, any big plans for you this week? Um... Well, you know, yeah, no, just keep on keeping on, yeah. you know, and keep on, keep you know, on doing the work around here and applying new places fall. and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, just taking care of business. Yeah. And, yeah, I guess we'll just 
continue on with this, and we'll see you next week. See you next you week. Know, on another episode of Historical and Mysterious. Mysterious. And I'm Ian. And I'm Jay. Thanks for listening. Right. Bye. Bye.